This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning, Journey Church. My name is Joe Merrick. I am the lead pastor here at Journey, and I am thrilled that you are here with me this morning, Uh, especially if you are new today. We just want to say a special welcome to you. We know it's not an easy thing to come into a new place and find a kind of navigate yourself around, and so we just want to thank you for that courage and being here with us. And if you are new or if you've been around for a long time, I want to encourage everyone to reach into the seat back in front of them and to grab our Connect card. Uh, On that Connect card, uh, there's lots of different information you can share with us, um, decisions you've made, prayer requests, all kinds of things there. Um, And uh, we just want to get one of those from every family here today. And so I want to say thank you in advance for just taking a moment uh, to do that today. Uh, With that, let me just pray for us and we will get started. Lord God, as your people, one of the things that we believe is that you are already here in our midst, and you are working and moving, and God, my prayer is that the words that we hear today just amplify that, that your spirit move and work in us as we think about what it means to be part of not just a church, not just a gathering of people, but to be part of your church, God. What's your vision for it? What's your dream for us? In your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, you have found us in week number three of a series entitled Rethinking the Church. And let me just talk to you for a second about what this series is about. Sometimes in life, and certainly in the life of the church, we get a a wrong notion in our head. We get an idea about something, and it's maybe just a little bit off, or maybe it's just flat out wrong. And here's the key. If we never stop and evaluate that idea, if we never are kind of forced to sit back and think about what is really uh, going on with that idea, then it just stays there, right? It never goes away. And so this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to pick out some misconceptions we get about the church, about what the church is supposed to be. And we're trying to hold that up to God's word and compare the two. And so some of the things that we have talked about um, so far are in week one, we talked about how we get this misconception that the church... It's just coming to a building on a weekend gathering, and we've kind of checked our spiritual box for the week. But God calls us to be in community together. He calls us to live and love one another the way that he uh, loves us. So that idea, it's not enough. Last week, Brian talked about uh, this misconception that we get, that spiritual growth just happens. In other words, we have a a point in life where we come to faith and then just like we're getting older, uh, uh, maturity, spiritual maturity happens just because time has passed. But that's not how it works. We have to have a desire for it. We have to want it. We have to want God to move and work in us. And this week, 
This week, we're going to talk about this notion that we sometimes get. That my actions, that my inactions, they don't have any effect on anyone other than me. They don't affect my family. They don't affect my friends. They don't affect my community. They don't affect my church. In short, we're going to talk about what it means to be accountable. To be accountable to a brother or a sister in Christ. Now, this isn't a topic that we like to think a lot about, accountability. We don't like to think about it in life, and we don't like to think about it in the church. But if we look at the church that God is trying to build, we need to understand that this notion of being accountable to one another is essential. We see it in many different ways in the scriptures. Because The church that God is gathering together, the church that God's trying to build is a group of people coming together in community with one another, trying together to grow closer to God and trying to help God expand his gospel to the world, which is what he calls us to do. We get lots of um, images in the Bible, this idea of working together, of community of accountability even. I'm just going to give you a few. The Apostle Paul several times goes to the image of a body, of hands and feet working together, of ears and eyes working together, each part doing its specific task, but working in unison for a greater goal. That's an image for the church. We get Jesus' own words in Matthew 18, 15, and 16, where he tells us what to do when someone's fallen away. He says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, but do it just between the two of you. Don't make a big deal of it, and if he listens to you, then you've won him over. But if he doesn't listen to you that time, uh, Jesus says, don't stop there. Take one or two others along also, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Jesus himself there, talking about the proper way to confront someone, the proper way to hold somebody accountable. And perhaps one of my favorite uh, kind of descriptors we get of community in the scriptures is this picture of a family. It's used lots of times, but the one I want to talk about is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And Paul, we're going to get more into Galatians in just a minute, but Paul has just finished the section where he's talking uh, exclusively about how to correct uh, uh, this error that's come up in the Galatian church. And then the proper way to respond to one another. And then in 610, he says this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Family. I like that um, picture of a family because it makes so much sense to me. I'm a father of two daughters, and if I don't discipline my kids, if I don't hold them to a standard, if I uh, don't make them accountable, right, that doesn't make my family stronger. 
It lets my family deteriorate. And that's the image that Paul is picking at here. He's saying you got to do it appropriately. you got to do it in the right way, just like we do as parents. But he's saying, just like you know this to be true in your physical family, in the people immediately around you, this concept of accountability needs to extend to your spiritual family. All of these pieces, and there's more, they draw a picture that's different than we so often think of faith. So many times for us, faith is um, largely thought of as just this personal experience, just me and Jesus and nobody else is really affected in that. And it is a personal experience, but there's so much more to faith, so much more to what God calls us to as the church than that. It's not a picture Paul draws in when he talks about the body of Christ, when he talks about the family, when Jesus uses those words about confronting one another. It's not a picture of spiritual isolation there. It's a picture of being together. Caring for one another enough to speak up. It's a picture where we hold one another accountable to the standards that Jesus sets for us. To dive deeper into this topic, I want to talk to you today about Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You can go ahead and turn there, but before I get to that section of scripture, I want to make sure we understand what's happening kind of in the larger context. So I want to zoom out here uh, and talk to you a little bit about what's happening in Galatians. Galatia is a region in Rome. It's not a specific city. It's kind of a, an area, so it's not a specific town that Paul is writing to. But this we do know about who Paul is writing to. Galatians 4.8 says this, He addresses the people and he says, he describes them this way. Formerly, when you did not know God. And this means that unlike uh, some of the other churches that Paul goes and starts, Galatians is made up either entirely or maybe primarily of Gentiles. People who didn't have a Jewish background, who didn't have an understanding of who God was before Paul got there. And it goes on. We get a lot of descriptors here in Galatians, especially in chapter 3. Paul says, you know, I came to you and I preached Christ and I told you about him. He says that in the first verse of chapter 3. And then in verse 5, we're told that um, some miracles happen. God does some divine works in their midst while Paul is with them. And then by the end of chapter 3, uh, Paul does what he does so well. And he says, you know what? You have joyfully accepted Christ and you've been baptized. And then... In Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, we skip kind of down a ways. Paul says this, when I left you, you were running a good race. And so Paul here has done what he uh, does so many times, right? He's talking in the past tense, so he has moved on. He is now in another place, uh, starting another church, doing what he is so good at. And he says, you know, when I left you, you guys, you were doing really good. But then something happens. 
This is what happens. Some other Jewish Christian missionaries from Jerusalem, either um, uh, specifically or they just kind of randomly found this group of believers in Galatia. And Paul in Galatians 1.6, he generously says they came with a different gospel. And here's kind of just the rundown of uh, what they came with. These Jewish Christian missionaries, these false teachers, if you will, uh, they came teaching that, hey, it's great that you know about Jesus, but before you can really truly follow Jesus, you need to become Jews first. And so here are all these rules. Here are all these festivals that you need to keep. Oh, and by the way, if you're a man, you need to be circumcised. Now, as you can imagine, this has caused quite a stir in the Galatian church. People are all kind of riled up. And along with kind of this false teaching, another thing that has come up is this spirit of spiritual competition between one another. You can kind of imagine what this might have looked like. Some people with this false teaching that has now come in, they're saying, hey, you know what? I believe in Jesus and I do this, this, and this. And other people are saying, oh yeah, well, I do those things and I follow these customs. And other people are saying, yeah, but I got circumcised. Beat that. That's right. Sometime we have to laugh about that. Okay. And then there's another group of people going, whoa, whoa, whoa. This sounds nothing like the gospel that Paul told us about. And so they write to Paul. And, he, and they say, you know, hey, these other guys, they came from Jerusalem. They say they're from uh, the church there and they have this teaching that sounds different than you. And this is what's happening. These people now say this and these people say this and we're pitted against one another. Paul responds, he gives this strong rebuke in Galatians chapter 3 through 5. Basically, those three chapters are all Paul responding to this false teaching. I'm going to kind of summarize it way down for you because it's another talk. But Paul focuses on the sufficiency of God's grace for our redemption. He says that's all we need for faith in God. And he also focuses in on the Holy Spirit's power to guide the church, okay? So that's kind of the picture of where we land today in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So Paul has corrected the teaching, and now what he's doing is he is describing to those who are there how they should treat one another with kind of, um, with this new teaching, with this corrected teaching. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Because that's what these false teachers were telling these uh, new converts that they weren't doing. They weren't really fulfilling the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Again, that language of competition. So the first thing I want us to see here, first thing it's important for us to understand is that this isn't some minor issue that Paul and the people in Galatia are dealing with, the church in Galatia is dealing with. This is a big deal. First of all, this is surgery. Unsterile, no antiseptic, some very sensitive areas, surgery. And beyond the physical, if you peel back what these false teachers are saying theologically, they're saying God's grace isn't enough. It's not enough for you. They're saying that, you know, the cross, it's nice and all, but it didn't really radically transform how we have a relationship with God. We're pretty much going to kind of do what we have always done, and now we're going to add a little bit of Jesus on top, and everything's going to be okay. Paul says, no. And they go on and they say, you know what? And without these traditions, without this kind of uh, following all these rules and laws that we have for so long, this church, it's just going to crumble. Paul says, no, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And then on this just practical level, this false teaching that's brought in the spirit of competition, it's undermining God's um, power to bring unity in the church. One of the things that Paul understands is that one of the real uh, testimonies of the early church, one of the real uh, examples of God's power was that they were taking people who were vastly different from each other. Jews and Gentiles didn't talk to one another. And they're bringing them together, and God's doing something new in both of them. And so this new teaching, it's eroding the reconciling power of God. So again, this isn't a small issue for Paul or the Galatians. We could talk more about that, but it's a different topic. What I really want us to focus on is how Paul teaches us with this major issue, how he teaches us to treat one another, how we should hold one another accountable. What I think is interesting isn't just Paul's words, but it's his tone, it's his spirit, it's the posture of his heart. Because for Paul, this is more than just correcting a couple uh, misguided teachers and um, maybe running a few crazy people out of town. Paul's heart is broken here. It's broken because when he left them, they were functioning as a church. They had come to know Jesus. They were in unity and they were uh, loving and caring for one another. And now this false teaching has come up and they're in competition with one another. And Paul knows that God's spirit won't thrive in that environment. So his heart breaks for them. You see that in his response. Okay, so two things that I think we can learn here from Paul's response. The first is that he addresses 
the issue. He doesn't just hope that it goes away. He doesn't uh, kind of bury his head in the sand and think, you know what, somebody else will deal with this later. No, he addresses the issue. He does it for three chapters in this letter that we have. He doesn't run from the problem. That's something that we need to know. We need to know that when someone strays from a core biblical belief, when someone uh, falls away from who God is, we don't ignore that. We point them back to God. We point them back to God's word. We don't go out looking for theological fights. There are other instances in which uh, some more minor disagreements come to Paul's attention and he kind of pushes it aside. He says, you know what, those will work themselves out. So we're going to go looking for theological fights. But when we see people, not just random people, but people we are in community with, people that are in our family, straying from God, It's our job, Paul says. He describes us as members of God's family. Those are his words in in chapter 6, verse 10. It's our job as members of the family to correct and hold one another accountable. After all, that's what we would expect in our own family, right? Right? That's what we would want if we kind of got way out of bounds, we got way off track. We would want someone to be uncomfortable enough to be willing to get uncomfortable, to bring some things up that maybe they didn't want to talk about and we didn't want to talk about, but they needed to be talked about. We'd want that to happen in our family. And Paul says you should want that to happen in your spiritual So the second second thing that we learn from Paul's response is that while he addresses the problem, he never loses sight of caring for the person. He addresses the problem. He, He knows that has to be taken care of, but he never loses sight of caring for the person. Let's just look at uh, the first verse in chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should, right? That that implies some accountability there, that implies an expectation. You should restore him. And what's the next word? Gently. You should restore him gently. And then almost before he can uh, complete the thought, he adds a warning, but wait, watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Tempted for what? For the very problem the Galatians are dealing with. Yes, there was a specific theological problem that Paul had to answer, but one of the things that we see in Paul's response here is he's really concerned with the spirit that has come up where people are competing against each other spiritually. Paul 
this attitude of spiritual superiority that's crept into the church. And Paul knows, even though he's hundreds of miles away, he knows it's destroying the church. So what Paul's saying here is you could get the teaching right and you could do the correction with the wrong spirit and you could be just as damaging. You can almost hear Jesus' words echoing in Paul's warning. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he is warning his followers from judging from a place of false superiority. And he says this, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's. Again, the warning here is about how we conduct ourselves when we're holding someone accountable. It's not a command to let everything go. It's a command to make sure we have our heart right first. The call of accountability in the church, it's not about laying guilt on one another. It's not about somebody being right and somebody being wrong. It's about understanding that the best thing for us all is to get closer to who God is. And sometimes when we are on that path, we get distracted, we get pulled away, and we need somebody in our life who cares enough for us to correct us. To call us back to who God is and what he is calling us to be. Let me just bottom line this for us today. So many times in the life of the church we get thinking. Either that we should just be left alone that it's just me and Jesus, that we kind of live in this spiritual vacuum and, and everything else, my actions, my inactions, they don't affect the people around me. I hope that you have seen in all of these examples that we've talked about from Scripture, that's not the church that God's trying to build. We either have that idea or we get this other idea. We think, yeah, you know what, there probably should be some accountability, but let somebody else do it. But that's not the picture that Paul draws here. Paul says if we're part of the family, then it's our job. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to care enough for the people in our lives. For the people, certainly in our spiritual family, that when we see them fall away, whether it's maybe a a wrong teaching or maybe it's just they've fallen away from who God is. They stopped coming to church. They stopped just kind of, they're drifting and disconnecting from who God is. Paul is drawing a picture of a group of people who care for one another enough. To step into that awkward space 
say, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't have this all figured out, but I see some things happening in your life that just seem different than who God's calling you to be. I want you to be better. I want to be better. I want us to be better. That's the kind of heart Paul is calling us to have here. It's not just about getting the rules right. It's about caring enough for one another. Paul knows that it's going to get messy. But he's calling us to care that much. I don't know what God is calling you to do with this today. My guess is that there are a few of us here this morning that uh, have a person in a face, in a situation, and it just, it keeps hitting us again and again and again as we hear this. There's probably another group of people here who maybe uh, a person in a face keep coming to us, but you know what? When we started talking about having the right heart, I said, whoa. I might have some work to do in here before I ever open my mouth. There's another group of us today just trying to figure out what to do with this because this is heavy stuff. This is a lot of responsibility. If you're in one of the first two groups, my encouragement to you is that you would do the obvious thing. That is, you would be obedient to who God is. And I would encourage you as well to make sure your heart is in the right place before you ever open your mouth. And if you're in that last group, my encouragement for you today is that you would spend some time praying. That when you're um, needed to fill this God-designed role to hold a brother or a sister accountable to something, that you would have the courage and the faith to do what God is calling you to with respect, with grace, with love. And no matter which group you are in this morning, I hope that you hear you're not called to do this God will guide you, that he will be with you, that he will help you. The Bible, the Bible calls us to love to the degree that God loves us. That means in this context, we don't get to ignore someone who's fallen away from who God wants them to be just because it's hard. Just because it's something that maybe we don't want to do. Call to live in mutual accountability. That doesn't mean giving someone a guilt trip. It doesn't mean it's an excuse for self-righteousness. Here's what it means. Accountability in the church. If you're going to remember anything from today, remember this accountability in the church is seeing God work through your friends as God draws you closer 
to himself. That's the picture that Paul is trying to draw for us. Let's pray about that today. Lord God, you give us this incredible story where some people got off track and your servant, Paul, calls them back. He steps into what can be an uncomfortable place and he corrects them, but he never forgets that they are people, they are souls. He never takes his eye off that, God, and that is an example we need to learn. That you call us to care enough for one another. You call us to love the way that you have loved us. And that's how we can keep one another accountable. God, my prayer today is that sense of care, that sense of love exists in this place. Not a false sense that we see here in Galatians, a false sense of superiority where uh, people boss one another around and lay guilt trips on each other, but God, a spirit of love and care that comes from the love and care you bring to us that extends to a brother, to a sister, and God, if that means that somebody says, hey, you know what? I think God has a different standard for you. I think God's calling you to something different in your life. God, my prayer is that we have the courage and the strength to say those things. God, if we believe that you are working already, all we have to do is follow where you're going. Help us to